Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. I just want to I just want to pray before we before we jump in. So Father, I, I thank you that you are moving already in this space that you are speaking to hearts that you're shaping our minds and our wills and our emotions. You're conforming us to the image of Christ this morning. And so we just give this time to you, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and blow through this place. Come speak to our heart. Come open us up to what you want to say and what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to get a sip of water here. So um, this morning, I want to cover a topic that I've been mulling over for quite some time. And the title of my message today is called Sent into the World. Sent into the World. And, you know, we, we get saved. Christ transforms us. We become new creations. And then I feel we, we often have trouble knowing how to translate and how to relate and understand the world in the context of what God's done in us. I, I've seen that quite frequently in my own life, and I, I hear it from many of you um, in your own lives. And, and just, um, I like to talk about my kids, so I'm just going to tell a quick story about my kids that <laughs> relates to this. Um, so I, uh, the other week, or this week rather, a few days ago, I was I got up early, and if you know anything about, I have three little kids, one, four, and six. If you know anything about kids, you got to get up early if you want to be with Jesus, because if not, you're going to be with him in the midst of chaos, but it's so much better to get up early. And so one morning this week, it was just beautiful. Like, I, I woke up at five, and I was like, you know, I know some of you are like, what? That's beautiful? Yeah, because I was actually alert and awake, and I'm having my time with the Lord. I got, and they didn't, they slept until seven, so I got like two straight hours, and it was awesome. Like, I was, you know, the scriptures were coming alive, peace of God in the room. And I got my, my coffee, and it's, I mean, it was so good. I had my heavy cream. And, um, and then the world woke up. And the world, my kids in this analogy are the world. And some of you are like, that's kind of cruel. But those of you with parents, you're like, I get that. I get that. That's true. Most kids aren't saved anyway until they get a little older. Um, so the world wakes up, and... All of a sudden, you know, the world's got a lot of needs and a lot of issues. So, you know, I've got my one-year-old. She's awake, and, you know, she's, like, peeling the paint off of the wall. Like, that's a problem. I've got my two older ones, and they're fighting over toys. They have all these needs. They're hungry. They're, they want this. They want that. And how many of you know that that peace and that presence that I was, you know, resting in, it just kind of lifted, really? Very quickly. And it's like, Jesus, like, what happened to me and you? And now I'm going to change the world because now, you know, the world's here and I don't feel you here. And I'm starting to act like the world. I'm starting to get whiny, to get annoyed, to get hungry and not treating my children the way I would like to. I'm like, glad your mother's asleep because I'm, you know, being very forward in my direction to you this morning. So it, it changed the dynamic once I actually 
was forced to take my encounter with the Lord and put it into a situation with the world. It, you can have those moments, but can you have those moments? Can you connect? Can you, can you be salt and light when the world comes at your door? And that, to me, that's, that's the challenge um, that we all face, especially in this city. And some of you, maybe you don't have children, you can't relate to that, but you may have a similar sort of morning routine where you encounter the Lord, and then you go into the world. And does that encounter, does the things God's done and spoken to you, does it translate, does it impact the world around you? And sometimes the answer is, it doesn't. But I propose to you that even in those moments, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. God is not after perfection. He's after obedience. And when we learn to be sent ones, to walk with him, to commune with him, we will learn to have grace for ourselves, and we will go back into the world even when we fail, even when we look foolish, and even when we you know, do things that are outside of what we know God's called us to. So how many know that our relationship status as Christians with the world is complicated? It's complicated. I, I was on the original Facebook, 2004. Remember that? Those of you that were there? I was there. Freshman in college. I was on Facebook. And they still have the feature. I checked it this week. They still have the feature in there, because I didn't know, about if you're in a relationship, you can put it on Facebook. And, you know, there's, a, there's different things you can select. Back in the day, you can only select a few. I think now you can select many. Um, but back in the day, you put, oh, I'm in a relationship with, you know, this person. And then you can change your status. You can change it to make it go from in a relationship to it's complicated. <laughs> I love that. I love that in 2004. Um, and people would do that to signal to people they were dating something or, you know, it was, it was weird. But, um, you know, it was manipulative probably. <laughs> but, but anyway, for us as Christians, we go, when we become a believer, we go from in a relationship with the world to it's complicated. It changes. And, and why is it complicated? Well, let's look at a few scriptures. So according to the scriptures, we are not supposed to love the things of the world. We're not supposed to love them. John 1, 2, uh, chap- 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Romans 12, Bill quoted it today. We are not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. A holy and living sacrifice that's not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. James 1.27, we are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. That's what religion looks like, being unstained for the world. James 4.4, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So we're, we're, called, to, we're called to not love the things of the world. And according to the scripture, the world is actually supposed to hate us. Isn't that interesting? John 15, verse 18 through 19, Jesus talking. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So given these realities that we're not supposed to love the world, that the world will, in fact, and should hate us. 
And given the current tensions in the world, in this country, between the world and, and us as believers, it can really make it difficult to get a full picture of how we're supposed to engage with the world. And what I mean is, we start to see the world as a pest from Satan instead of a promise from the Father. We start to view the world as a cancer versus our calling. We start to see the world as the enemy in need of defeating instead of an enslaved people in need of liberation. So our hearts can become bitter to the world because there is animosity between us and the world, and we forget that Jesus actually called us to love the world. It's complicated. So don't love the things of the world, but in John 3, verse 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. So we're called to be in the world, to love the world, but to not be of it and to abstain from the way it, it operates. It's complicated. So we resist the ways of the world, resist it, but we reach the world. Resist the ways and reach it. How many of you know we can get so good at one or the other? We can get so good. There's those people like, we got to reach the world. We got to reach the world, but they look just like the world. And those people that like, we got to resist, we got to resist, we got to resist. But there's no love in their heart and there's no influence in the world. We're called to be both. Resist, but reach the world. Now, the, the kicker of all this is we all were once a part of the world. So I think that's where we got to start if we're going to talk about being sent to the world. Where did we come from? Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan, the real enemy. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This humbling reality that we were once dead, that we were once enemies with God, is so necessary if we're going to be sent into the world. If we forget this, we will have no influence in the world. We will not be able to reach the people we want to reach. We will not be able to fulfill the calling of God on our life to go into the world if we don't remember where we came from. It's that humble posture that we must have if we're going to reach the world in this season, if we're going to be a part of God's harvest right now. This city is so ripe for harvest, you guys. It is so ripe. There are so many hearts ready to receive Jesus. We got to remember that we used to be in it. We got to remember where we came from if we're going to reach them. 1 Corinthians 6, similar vibes. It lists out all the different fleshly desires that one at one time has engaged in. And then here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But 
you were washed. These are those that follow Jesus. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we were once in the world. We were once doing the things of the world, following desires of our flesh. But now we are what? We are washed, made clean. We are sanctified, made holy, set apart unto the Lord. And we are justified. We are righteous before God, all because of the blood of Jesus. This is where we were. This is where we came. And you hear that language, set apart, sanctified. And you hear more of that language in, um, all throughout the scriptures about being chosen, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And if you don't understand where you came from, <laughs> you can get real puffed up about that. You can be like, ah, the world, you know, they've got their things, but I'm chosen. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm going to show the world how to be holy. And, and you, in that mentality, you separate yourself from the world in a way where you've lost the ability to influence it because you're judging it. And you're forgetting where you came from. You're forgetting that it's by grace you yourself have been saved. And we can get in that mentality so easily. And we can take those scriptures and take them out of context and think that we're better than the world. And we're not better. We're saved by grace through faith. We're lucky. We're blessed. We're not better. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These scriptures are the prerequisite to being sent, to going, because they remind you where you came from. I'd say we have to step back before we can go forward. We have to know where we came from. We have to burn with God's heart for the lost, remembering we ourselves were once lost. So important. Now, this, this theme, which is of darkness and light, is so prominent all throughout the scriptures. And you can find it everywhere. And here, here in, in Peter is, is pulling on that theme. You were called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Beautiful imagery. Out of darkness, into his wonderful light. So a few of the places, and there's many, where you can see this theme of light in the scriptures. If you look at Isaiah chapter 42... You have the servant, the prophecy of a servant of God who is coming and is going to bring light to the Gentiles, to the nations. And this promise is very important to the Jewish nation. And there, there, there's other places in Isaiah and other chapters that mention these, this promise of one coming to bring light to the nations. And if you look in, in Luke 2, starting in verse 29, you have this old man, Simeon. He's at the temple, he's devout, he's righteous, he's seeking the Lord, and he's asking what is going to, he's looking ahead, and he's looking for what God's, how's God's going to fulfill what he's done in the Old Testament, how he's going to fulfill the word of the light coming to the Jewish nation and the nations of the earth. And so as he's praying, as he's seeking God's face in that particular area, baby Jesus comes in the temple, and he holds this child 
And God says, this is the answer to what you've been praying, to what you've been waiting for, to what you've been wanted. This is the light to the nations. He's right here. And he says, oh, my God, I can die. You're faithful. You've answered my prayer. I mean, he's the Lord. And he's the first person that we see that actually gets it, that actually gets that Jesus is the light. He's the one to bring us out of darkness into light and make us light bearers for him. Simeon gets it. Now, 30 years later, Jesus is back in the temple as a grown man doing his ministry. And and he makes a statement about himself being the light to the nations. He makes and, and so now just knowing he's he's declaring, no, I am the servant from Isaiah 42. That's me. So we read it, we don't realize the Jewish context of it. And and I mean how how you know what's the word offensive it would be to the people in the in the temple. So he goes and and I want to just set up this context of where he how he releases this statement where I'm the light of the world. So he releases it. It's it's a little it, it's a little hard to figure out exactly the timing of when he did it based on how it is in Scripture. But it looks like he did it during the Feast of Tabernacles, and on, particularly on like that last day of that feast. And in the temple, on the last day of the feast, there was actually this thing. It was called the illumination of the temple. And they had these four like huge um, menorahs that were these burning lights that were shining all throughout the temple, like 75 feet up in the air. Huge. And so... It's evening time in the temple. These lights are burning. These lights that actually, they, they represented or they spoke to the, the, the past, the history of God being that fire in the wilderness, of God being the one to lead them. And they spoke to the future promise of one coming that would bring a light that would lead the Jewish nation and would bring light to the nations. So that's why they, they're there. They're hanging in the temple. And here's Jesus in the temple. And what does he say? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you see how much more that would speak to a person sitting in the temple, waiting on the light, waiting on the presence of God, and the presence of God shows up in the temple and says, I am the light. I'm the one you're looking for. It's a powerful image, and the timing of God is perfect. And so we get this image. We have this declaration from Jesus that he is the light. And then we see this theme of light displayed in a few other contexts. So Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus declares, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus, I thought you were the light. He says, now you are. Now you. You're the light. So Jesus declares he is the light, but then he speaks of his people, and he says, you're it. Tag. (laughs) You're the light. You're the light. Now Paul and Barnabas, they caught on. Acts 13, verse 47, and they reference they reference the scriptures in Isaiah 42 about the light of Christ shining to the Gentiles. And they take that as their own. Their ministry is to shine the light of Christ to the Gentiles. How can they do that? Jesus is not even around. 
How can they, Jesus is the light of the world. How can they shine the light on the Gentiles? How? 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us, verses 6 and 7. For God who said, let light shine in the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all this surpassing power is from God and not from us. So you see, the light who is Christ himself now lives in the heart of you and I. And we can have confidence because when we go into the world, even though we're jars of clay, what is he talking about? We're, we're broken people. We're, we're temporal. We, we have lots of flaws and issues, right? But, but we come bearing the light of Christ in us. That's so important that we, that we know that. <laughs> when you go into your office, when you go anywhere, even if you're not of the best mentality that morning, even if you're struggling, you come and the light of Christ in you, you have that to offer. So there may be other people there. They look really good. They seem really loving. They seem really great. They don't have Christ. They have no light in them. They need what you have. Honor what they have, but know you have something they need. No matter how loving, no matter how amazing they are, there's some amazing people out there that don't know Jesus, but they don't have the light that you have. They don't. And they haven't been sent. And you have. You've been sent. Now, Jesus prayed that we would be sent into the world. So that should give us confidence, right? If you feel you're sent somewhere, Jesus prayed that you were, Jesus sent you by his prayers. So uh, John 17, verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. See, when you receive Christ, when you get that light of Christ in you, the Holy Spirit of God, you are automatically sent. You are now a sent one instantaneously. I don't care how long you've been saved. And so I feel sometimes we, we want to wait to be sent, to minister to people. because we, And there's, there's reality. We need, to, we need to be mature. Like, all right, like, we all know some people that start ministering too early. And you're like, man, they got some stuff going on that they're ministering out of. That's not the Holy Spirit. But my point is, don't wait until you're mature enough to be sent, to minister, to go. Do not wait. That's not how it works biblically. That's not how it works presently. <laughs> That's not how it works. And in fact, when you go, he'll supply you. He'll, he'll give you. And so I think sometimes there's a purposeless Christianity mentality that, that, that happens to young believers because you're kind of waiting to get fully healed. And we're instead of just going and it's on the job training, like it's on the job healing. All right. <laughs> and so so in this church, like we are, we want to we're talking about discipleship. We want to help disciple and grow one another. And so it's a safe place to get it wrong. But here's the thing. If you if you're being discipled and you get it wrong, then you get corrected. If you're just out trying to minister and be sent without a covering, without a church, without people that are investing in your life. OK, it's going to get real messy. Like, it's going to be bad. (laughs) 
you got a little, you still got the light of the Lord, but you're going to be throwing other lights out there. Um, there's no other light, but you know what I mean. It's going to be bad. So I'll leave it at that. And I'll say this real quick. So many of you, you're amazing, and you already know that you're sent to the city. And, and I, I want to encourage you because you're, you're, not, you're not in the ministry, but you are. You're chaplains no matter where you're at, of your workplace. And so even as we get, I'm going to get into like Jesus sending the disciples and like, well, we start, we start thinking in terms of missionaries and we don't realize missionaries, there's missionaries all over this room. Like we can get in this missional mindset, which we've often preached and taught and not realize you are missionaries and you've been sent, so many of you, and you don't have to like go to start another ministry to fulfill what we're talking about today. Like, in fact, please don't. Like, please don't, like, go where the Lord has called you, where he's opened up doors for you, where he's already told you that you're sent. So don't go and do something else. Like, go and do what the Lord said and take confidence that he sent you to the people group that you're, that you're influencing right now. So many of you, maybe there's new places for you to go, but even with Winogo and Jamal's word last week, there's many of you need to stay where the Lord has placed you and just know this is your mission field. You've been sent to these people. Okay, so I'm gonna, I want to um, lay out four things, um, four important things to know for those who are sent, all right? So how do you be sent? Here's four ways that you, anyway, four ways that you're sent. <laughs> Number one, and this is the biggest of them, those who are sent, pray. Those who are sent, pray. Matthew 9. Matthew 9, Jesus chooses his, has already chosen his 12 disciples. He's already been performing miracles in front of them, doing these great things. But what does he do? This is even before he sends them. They're not even going, they're not even doing the ministry, right? This is what he tells them to do. Matthew 9 says, uh, verse uh, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Whoa, don't miss that one. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He instructs them to pray before he ever sends them. Pray for the harvest. And he does it. Catch how he does it. It's his heart of compassion for the lost, for the world that draws him into a place of prayer. And, and he's using this example to call his disciples into a place of prayer before they're sent. Every sent one starts with prayer. If you, we enter the world through prayer. We engage with the world through prayer first. That is the entry point to any sent ministry, is prayer. I've done ministry void of prayer. It's terrible. It's really bad. It relies on your own ambition and it gets legalistic so fast. 
Because you read the word and you want to respond to it, but it's not relational. It's not based in prayer. You're not sent. You just go on your own ambition. And it's not fun. And the Lord will still meet you in that place and do crazy stuff because he's gracious. But that's not the place that we're sent from. We're sent from a place of prayer. Those who are sent pray, number one. Those who are sent have authority. This one's fun. So you look, Matthew 9. If you look then at Matthew 10, you see the impact of their prayers. They're praying, Lord of the harvest, send forth the laborers into the field. Lord of the harvest, send forth the laborers. And then what happens? Then Jesus says, now I'm going to send you. Pray it first. And then they get sent. And they get to go. And so before this time, Jesus is doing all this stuff, and they're all bystanders. They're just watching, you know, which would be amazing. But it's until this moment that they actually get activated, that they actually get the authority of Christ, and he sends them out. But I love that it happens right after they pray. I think that's intentional. I think that's something to take note. So they're sent out, and Jesus gives them his authority. So remind you, he's sending them out with his authority, to do the things he just did. To do what? Drive out impure spirits. Heal every disease and sickness. So they're going out and he's saying, lay hands on these people. And I'm going to give you authority to do what I just did. But he is sending them. They're not going out on their own ambition. They're going out because he told them to. He sent them with a vision. He said, go to the house of Israel. Go. He sent them to a specific people. And he sent them with a message. He said, proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this is a specific situation in a time in history, but there's so much baked into here that applies right now to me and you. And I just want to note that as they freely received, they freely gave. It was in that posture of receiving from the Lord, of being sent by the Lord, that they gave and that the authority of God flowed from their hands just like it did from Jesus' hands. Those who are sent, pray. Those who are sent, have authority. Those who are sent, suffer. Oh, no. Didn't, did you read all of Matthew 10? Because it starts off awesome. And then the second part of Matthew 10, he prepares them for violence and suffering. And it's real. Like, we, we love, I mean, I feel like two different camps you go to. We'll like, we'll just do the Matthew 10 early part because we're charismatic and we believe in victory and, and we do. But then you go to other camps and they'll just do the suffering part and they won't even talk about the authority part. But Matthew 10 is Matthew 10. It's got the authority, the power, the suffering, the persecution. It's all there. It's all in the book. So, so it's, it's confusing when you read the second part of Matthew 10. <laughs> Because it's like he's preparing them to be flogged, to be arrested, to be hated, to be betrayed. He's saying, count the cost, you guys, because when you follow me, this is what you're going to get. And it's like, wait a minute. Hold on. Like, I thought, I, what about the victory? What about the power? What about that? And he says, no, it's both. You come with the power. You come with the authority. But there's going to be things that happen to you that are my will that don't seem like my will. Like you getting arrested, like you getting flogged, 
Now, notice he doesn't say you getting sick. So, doesn't say that. But he says you will be arrested, you'll be, you will be flogged, you'll be thrown into prison. So things can happen to us, and as your pastors, it's our job to prepare you for the things that you may face. And so that your heart doesn't go cold or weary when stuff happens to you. People hate you because you love Jesus and say, oh, Lord, I guess you're not with me. I guess your favor's not on me. Say, no, I told you this was coming. I told you. But I also told you you're going to have power and authority. <laughs> I love Keith, too. <laughs> He's my brother. We look a lot alike. Those who are sent pray. Those who are sent have authority. Those who are sent suffer. Those who are sent overcome the world. Overcome the world. So even when you're suffering, you're in prison, even when people in this city hate your guts because you tell them about Jesus or you tell them you believe a certain thing that you find in the Bible and they hate you because of it, you, you are made, you will overcome the world. You will. Because the word of God overcomes the world because Jesus has overcome the world. And it's him who we're declaring. It's him who they're offended by, not us. It's him. And so we will overcome the world. In Matthew 10, it says a few things like this. It says, he who, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father. It says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. These are encouraging words that we need to hear when we're facing, when we're downtrodden, and when, when people are <laughs> messing with us, and we just want to love them, and they hate us, and, but we overcome the world. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. I know some of you are in tough situations. I know some of you, have, you're, 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 you're trying to be salt and light in a culture that rejects it, that doesn't want anything to do with it, and do not be discouraged. Continue to love. Continue Continue to, to declare who Jesus is, be salt and light, and you will overcome. The Word of God says it, and I believe it. I want to read 1 John uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5. I'm going to read this in the New English Translation, NET, because I like it. I really like what the NET has to say, and so I'll tell you why in a sec after I read it. Um, 1 John chapter, one, or chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends... Let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. See, normally that translation, they translate that is born of God, but another way you can translate it, and the NET is a little more literal than some of the other ones, is fathered, has been fathered by God. Kind of changes the, how you receive it, right? has been fathered by God and knows God. Verse 8, the person who does not love does not know God because God is love. And by this, the love of God is revealed in us that God has sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. It is in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. I'm going to skip through to 1 John 5, verse 3 through 4. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments do not weigh us down. Because everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world. 
So we say we overcome the world. We conquer the world, right? This is commonly in Scripture, many different places, the word overcome and interchange that with conquered is associated with us and the world, right? It, feels like, it seems like a very domineering sort of language. But if you look at it, everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world. Did you catch that? Conquering, overcoming by being fathered? It's a different strategy than the world's strategy for overcoming and conquering. We're under a different kingdom with different tactics. And when we hear that word, we overcome the world, we conquer the world, we have to understand the, the, the tools of our warfare are different than the world's tools, okay? We conquer through love. We overcome by the spirit out of love, by being fathered. That's how we overcome, not by domineering, not by controlling, not by manipulating. Those are the world's tools. That's how the world gets power. That's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how the children of God operate. And I want you to hear that because some of you, many of you, were in cultures where that's how power is got. That's how you climb the ladder. That's how you gain influence. Jesus did not model that, and nor should we. So I I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and it's a hard conversation. They, um, my friend believes things very different than I do. So my friend believes that, you know, a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man and really has bought into some of this rhetoric that we see in culture right now. And as for myself, I certainly don't espouse to that. I believe men are men, women are women. And, and my friend, as we're having this dialogue, and, and she's explaining, you know, why she feels a certain way, I, it's very troubling for me, and I'm put in a position where how do I respond, given my indifference with her position, and the fact that this person is not only believing this, but promoting this to others, and, you know, promoting this to those who, in fact, in my opinion, have gender dysphoria and are hurting and are frustrated and confused. And this, this woman is, is promoting these things, these ideals. So how, how do I respond? This woman's not a believer. She's of the world. How does one respond? I have a few options. I could get angry. I could say, you know, uh, you just don't get it. You're believing lies. I don't want to be your friend. I don't want to associate with you. You need to stop what you're doing now and come underneath the truth. I could do that. I could cancel her. You know, cancel culture is really popular. I could do that. I could be, I could become afraid. I could be, oh my gosh, like, this person feels differently than I do. If I let them know what I think, I'm probably, they're going to call me a bigot. They're not going to realize that I love people that are experiencing gender dysphoria, that I, that I love those, those people and that I love her. So I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to, you know, I'm afraid that it'll be too much. I could do that. A third option is I could get numb and just act like 
Just change the conversation. Just da 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 da. Like <laughs> people running around with their fingers in their ears, going da 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 da. Um, that's a song. Um, I didn't write it. Misty Edwards did, but um, I could do that. Put my fingers in my ears and uh, act like nothing's happening because it would just be easier, less awkward. And they don't have to confront the situation. Or to me, the best option is option four. I could let my heart break. I could look this woman in the eye and see the hurt and the pain she herself is going through. I could hear her story and the stories of those that are dealing with gender confusion and try to connect and understand their heart. And I could pray from that place. And I believe God would move way more, way more powerfully in me and in those people I'm trying to reach than if I responded any of the other three ways. It's a heart that breaks that will be the most effective in the world. Because it's a heart that gets God's heart, and it gets us the heck out of the way. And we stop coming with our opinions. We stop coming trying to fulfill the word of the Lord and give him the truth. And we start coming instead with a heart of love and saying, God, would you father me so that I can shepherd and father these people? Because they're harassed, and they're scattered, and they need a shepherd. Jesus saw this. When Jesus declared, I am the light of the world, you know the story that's right in there, right next to it? It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. That story is put right in the middle of the dialogue that Jesus is having in the temple about being the light of the world. I believe that story, it, it connects with that reality where he's saying, I'm the light of the world. I've not come to judge I've come to love. And he who, has the, he who has no sin casts the first stone. And he clears the temple, right? They all leave because they came to condemn, not full of love, not full of mercy. And they're not going to influence. We're not going to influence a generation with that message. We won't. We won't take in. We won't, we won't receive the harvest with that type of message. But Jesus said, let him without sin cast the first stone. They left. And he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He could hold truth and grace and truth together in how he engaged with people. And we've got to hold those together as we engage with this culture right now, with this world that we're living in right now. And we will see a great harvest when we do. Worship team, could you guys, could you guys come on up? You know, everybody's got their own story, how they, how they came to Jesus. And probably all of you have a story of someone who was sent, who loved you, spoke to you, prayed for you, and it opened your, your eyes to Jesus. But there's a sent person. If that's you, I want you to think about it right now. Think about that sent person that showed up at your door in your life, and open your eyes, how they loved and what they said. Think about that person right now. I'll tell you mine. I was in high school. I was running around, doing what high schoolers do, nothing good. And uh, these college students, 
They weren't, they weren't Billy Grahams. They weren't professional evangelists. Just regular people who were sent. And they showed up at my school. And they showed up at my house. And they took me out to Wendy's and fed me Frosties. And they loved on me in my world. They went to my world. They didn't stay in their world. They didn't stay up in the sky doing the Jesus morning coffee thing. They came to my world. And it changed my life forever. You all in this room, there are people, places where God is sending you now, maybe today. And he wants to give you a vision to get into the world. And you won't be stained by it because you're here in a company of believers. You're here seeking his face. You're here connecting with his heart. You might mess up. You might be hated. You might be rejected. You might be laughed at. But you'll be rewarded. I just feel, prophetically even, I just see people behind us. Like, people behind each and every one of you, behind myself, who we've been sent to, been called to. With authority. So we're called to pray. We're going to go with authority. We're going to suffer whatever needs to be suffered. And we're going to overcome darkness with light. Everybody just stand up for me, please. <laughs> I'll say this. This week I had a funny situation that happened to me. I, um, I came to my doorstep, and there were these people sitting in my doorstep. I have a gate in my house. It's like they, like, went through my gate, and they're sitting on my porch. I was kind of, was kind of ticked. <laughs> Why are you guys in my house? <laughs> what are you doing? And the Lord stopped me before I got annoyed. And some of you, there's people that annoy the heck out of you. God just put them in, in front of you, put them on your doorstep. If you've been annoyed at them, it's okay. I was too. But the Lord was like, no, nah, I sent these people. Don't you get annoyed at them. I put them on your doorstep. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> Like Lord, I need a word, because <laughs> it's all gonna—it's gonna be awkward already. I know it. And the Lord gave me a word, and He let me—he let me love on him instead of be annoyed by him. Like my kids in the morning, <laughs> I could be annoyed by them. They drive me crazy. I'm called to father them. I'm called to love them. I'm called to understand what's going on in their life to relate with them, because I was a child once too. And through that, to shepherd them in the way they should go. So Father, I, everybody just close your eyes. Father, I thank you. Even this morning, you're putting people on our hearts who you've sent us to, and you're encouraging us, Father, that even as we are right now, even in our own weakness, in our own brokenness, as 
clay earthen vessels, we still carry the light of the Father. We still carry the hope of the nations. Jesus himself lives and moves in us, your people. And I thank you, Father, you've made us lights because you are the light to the nations. You are the one shining in the darkness. And I pray right now for those of you that have been called into dark areas. Lord, would you strengthen them right now by your Holy Spirit? Would you encourage them right now by your Holy Spirit? Would you give them fresh vision? Would you give them extra measures of love? Would you overwhelm their heart? Would you break their heart? Break their heart for the things that break your heart. Show them those people in light of your sacrifice, of your mercy. We love because you, because you first loved us. We love because you first loved us. I thank you, Father, for setting us apart to love. I thank you that love is how we will war. I thank you that love is how we will resist. I thank you that love is how we will overcome the world. Let's worship our overcoming King, King Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.